Now, for those of you that have joined uh, for week one and week two of Summer Nights, you might be wondering, where is Mark Roper? Normally, Mark is sitting next to me at a social distance on the steps of Brompton Road as we host Summer Nights. But Mark is actually here. He is, in fact, our speaker tonight. He's going to be exploring the next theme of our story of, well, as we explore the story of Joseph, the theme of breakthrough. For those of you who don't know, Mark was formerly a doctor before becoming a vicar in the Church of England. He is Reverend Dr. Mark Roper. He's my boss and my friend, and he is someone who we adore greatly. And we're really, really excited to have Mark joining us tonight to share with us from the story of Joseph. So Mark, wherever you are, over to you. Hi everybody, it's so good to be here, it's so good um, to talk to you this evening on this um, topic of breakthrough. We've had the most amazing time on summer nights so far this year, this, this August week one we had Ryan talking about Joseph's dreams from God. Those, um, those dreams that um, God gave to Joseph that um, sort of envisioned Joseph but frustrated his brothers and caused them to try and take him um, away and send him off to Egypt. And Ryan talked to us about getting a God vision for your life. Week two, Adiola, the amazing Adiola, talked to us through the, the, the really quite challenging um, story of Joseph um, being part of Potiphar's house and being, being, being tempted um, and his character being tested um, by the actions of Potiphar's wife. And she talked to us about how, are, how am I becoming was the question that she asked us. How do, um, how do we respond to circumstances? How is our integrity in our relationships? And, and the way that those two things, that we're, the way that we're doing those two, two things determines how well um, we are becoming, how our character is forming and tonight I have the joy of talking to you about breakthrough and we're going to get into the scripture and we're going to we're going to work we're going to work through the scripture we're going to see what we can pull out of it but before I did it, I really wanted just just to start by um by talking about a story of breakthrough from my own um life and um, as Susie said I used to be a doctor um, and um, about six years ago Joe, my wife and I decided that we would um we felt that God was calling us to go and spend some time living and working in Cambodia. So we spent um, six months uh, mentoring some junior doctors in a small hospital out in Cambodia. And we had an incredibly challenging, but uh, an absolutely marvelous time. And God did amazing things. But right at the start of this, before we'd even started in the hospital, we were asked to go up country and um, to a place that as far as I could understand was legitimately the middle of nowhere. I mean, it was, it was like a sort of, 12 hour bus journey and then an hour long drive and bits of it even involved a boat across a river and it was so far away from just anywhere that I would call normality and we'd taken a little box of sort of medicines with us and we were asked to go and see various people and we largely felt that we weren't being very helpful but the missionaries who'd invited us to come up and and see some people were, were really encouraging um, and then one Sunday, we went to one of the local um, plant churches that the organization that I was working for um, was running. And afterwards, we got asked to go and see um, a young guy who'd recently hurt himself. And basically, he, he was, um, this, this guy was in a house um, about the 
similar size to a garden shed, like a medium-sized garden shed. And he was lying on a, a bed that didn't have a mattress and he was completely paralyzed. He was a 21-year-old guy and he had, um, he'd, he'd fallen off the roof of a house um, and broken his neck. Um, and so he, he couldn't even move his, his arms or his hands. He was just, he was just lying there. And his family, because of the, um, the, um, the sort of spirit worship and stuff that goes on in Cambodia, they had decided they felt that it was right to pour boiling water over every part of his body that was paralyzed. And um, so he had these horrific blisters all over um, his body. And we went in there um, with our little bag of sort of what would turn out to be horrendously pointless medications. And we, we sort of said, this, this guy needs to be in, you know, a really high functioning hospital if he's, you know, to, to survive for, you know, days, let alone, you know, you know long term. And we, um, and we offered to pray, which we felt was the only thing that we had. And they just said, no, um, we don't want to aggravate the spirits anymore. We don't want him to get worse. And I, I felt that I should be telling them that he couldn't really get any worse. Um, but, you know, obviously that was, that was their decision. And I, I remember walking away from that house and it was probably the most hopeless I've ever felt in my entire life. I just felt like there was nothing that I could offer, nothing. I, you know, I had no faith that God could break into that situation because they'd even said no to prayer. I just, nothing. Um, and um, I got a bit grumpy and a bit and a bit sullen we'd had a sort of challenging week and we didn't feel that we'd been sort of doing much and say so I, I i started to get a bit grumpy and a bit low and then as often happens when you're in southeast asia i had some um sort of gastric fireworks um that 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 sort of bound me to my to my bedroom for a few days and that made me even more you know sort of grumpy and i was just i was really you know it was quite oppressive this this feeling and um one day my wife sort of you know, either was, you know, sort of filled with the Holy Spirit or just snapped out of grumpiness, probably a combination of the two. And, um, and, and she said, Mark, we need to pray about this. We need, to, we need to actually invite God into this situation. And so we did, and absolutely nothing happened. Um, and so I got a bit grumpier, and then we went back, started our job in Phnom Penh. And about three weeks later, we bumped into one of the missionaries who we had been working with. Um, and she said, it's, you know, it's great about that guy. And he sort of mentioned this, this guy's name. And we were like, what? It's just like, oh, you know, have you not heard? And we were like, no, we definitely haven't heard. It's just like, oh, you know, he's still paralyzed. But um, after you left, um, he asked his family, why did those white people come? And they sort of explained. And then um, they, they invited us to come back and explain what happened. His entire family became Christians. We're moving him down to the capital city so he can get long-term care. And actually the church has provided for that family to have a larger house, a better bed, and all of this sort of stuff. And this is what I want to talk to you today. Breakthrough is all about God and it's nothing about us. Breakthrough is all about God and it's nothing about us. And I, and I hope that we can find that together in this story um, in the Bible, in the story in Genesis. Um, but I, I realise more profoundly than ever that breakthrough has so little to do with me and it has so much to do with God. And the more that we can get God's bigger picture, God's redemption plan for the world in our head, and less about me, um, the more God is going to do. So let's dig into the passage. We've got quite a bit to go through. Um, I'd love you to have it open in front of you. If you, if you could, um, feel free to, to not. If you don't want to, that's absolutely fine. I'm, I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to attempt to put it up on the screen. I've been told that I need to do this box so that you 
Um, there we go. Um, my notes, let me try again. You've all had the advanced preview of what I'm going to say now, which is, look at me, there we go. So we're going to start at the end of chapter 39. which is where Adiola left off, but it's so significant. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in, in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard. Important note, this is Potiphar, um, who we met previously, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended to them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. So when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were, who were, in, custody with, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, important verse number one there's going to be three of these mega important verse number one do interpretations belong to god don't interpretations belong to god tell me your dreams so the cupbearer told joseph his dream he said to him in my dream i saw a vine in front of me and on the vine there were three branches as soon as it budded it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes pharaoh's cup was in my hand and i took the grapes squeezed them into pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top of the basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. We're doing so well. We've got a tiny bit more and then we're done. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. 
it had been a dream. In the morning, he was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief cupbaker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of, us has a, each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon, where he was shaved and changed his clothes and came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one could interpret, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Really important verse alert. I cannot do it, Joseph said to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and we have a repeat of the dream, so we can fast forward this bit, which is great. And um, verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years, and it is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all abundance in Egypt will, not be, for will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities of God. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the, by the famine. Important verse number three. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And then basically we've got about 20 verses, which is the realities of Pharaoh doing all that stuff to Joseph. He puts him in charge, Joseph does it, he collects grain, and then there's a famine. Um, so we can ignore that bit. Not ignore, but we can just skip over that bit. Excellent. So back in the back in the sort of 80s, 90s, for those of you that are um, that, that, that way inclined with your age, um, you'll remember um, Bono sung in the epic um, ballad by you 2 where the streets have no name. I want to run, I want to hide, I want to tear down the walls that hold me inside. And we see so many different types of prisons um, so many different types of walls that are holding Joseph in this, in, this, in this passage. And I wonder if any of those are similar for you right now in your situation. There's physical prison. And um, one of the words in Hebrew means he was physically bound. He was shackled. 
Um, so he would have been in pain. Um, he was in a prison of isolation. He was distanced from his family, from everything he knew. He even later names one of his sons, I have forgotten. And um, just to emphasize the distance that there is between him and everything that he is used to, that he known. He's in a prison of insignificance. I highlighted while we we're reading it, at the start of chapter 40, we, we noticed that he's in Potiphar's house. He's been imprisoned in the prison that is attached to the house where all of the shenanigans of the previous chapter happened. So the injustice um, and the authority that he used to have would have been so evident to him all the time. He's in a prison of insignificance. He used to be this big deal in the house and now he's not. He used to run the house and now he doesn't. He's in this prison of injustice as well. Potiphar's wife is probably just walking around. Maybe she comes and stands on the walls and does a cheeky wave every now and again. You know, the, 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 the false accusation must have been felt so profoundly by Joseph in this situation and because he was right next to the place where it happened. And that injustice was still happening. She was still there and he was being punished for something that he didn't deserve. I wonder if any of you feel a sense of injustice boxing you in, walls closing in on you in terms of injustice today. He was in a prison of unmet hopes. Two years, we are told, since he asked the cupbearer to vouch for him. Two years of just sitting there thinking, perhaps today is the day. Perhaps there's going to be breakthrough today. Perhaps that person's going to come good for me today and it just didn't happen again and again and again the point the passage even says a full two years just to make sure that we don't you know oh, it wasn't just one and a half you know, it's a full two years or perhaps if we think broader there are more prisons in this story perhaps there's the prisons that joseph brothers would be in and adiola mentioned this last week as well them being bound by their secrets their shame and their guilt thinking that they killed their brother, thinking that they'd abandoned their brother to a life um, somewhere else in slavery. I wonder what prison you are in today. I wonder what are the walls um, that you want to tear down, either in society, in your own heart, in your body. I wonder where you are, where, where you want breakthrough, where you need breakthrough, where you're desperate for breakthrough. And the amazing thing about this passage is it gives us a roadmap for breakthrough. It shows us um, a way to engage with, with God when we are craving, when we're longing for breakthrough. And it's twofold. It's both the supernatural and the practical. It's both the extraordinary and the ordinary. And there's two things that I really want to communicate this evening. And the first thing is that we don't underestimate how powerfully God can break into situations. And the second thing is that we don't underestimate the interest that God has and the use that he can make of our tiny little ordinary everyday acts. Both are equally great and we can see this in this story. So the first thing, don't underestimate how powerfully God can break into situations. Joseph has full 100% confidence in God's ability. He, he says twice, and these are the verses that I asked you um, to remember, firstly to these two guys from the food service industry, and then secondly to Pharaoh. He says, he says to both of them, I can't give you an interpretation, but God can. Both times he said it before he's heard the dream. So he's not saying, I've heard it, I know God's already given it to me, it's worked out, or I know an answer for myself. He says, in advance of it, 
I know that my God can do this miraculous thing. Joseph stakes his reputation on God being able to show up. And friends, we need to catch a vision that is greater than, what, than that which we can ask or imagine as we're called to in Ephesians. And one of our, one of our values at HTB is that we are audacious. And the, the translation that Nikki has given us of the word audacity is that we have a vision, a vision big enough that only God is able to do it. We need to believe, we need to continue to believe that God can do amazing, supernatural, wonderful things. If you're in any doubt that God does those things, listen to the interview um, that Francis Chan did with Nikki on HTB at Home this week. You can find it on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube. Just type in HTB Francis Chan. I checked earlier today. It works. It's amazing. It's so good. Some of his stories about God breaking in in miraculous ways. We need to constantly tell each other these stories to raise our faith. But this story shows us that God will break in in these ways that we can't predict and we can't explain. These miraculous supernatural ways. He will talk to us. He will heal people. He will do amazing things. Do we have an attitude like Joseph did? where we truly believe that God can do these things, or we're pre- prepared to, um, before they happen, stake our reputation on them. What would it look like if we did that? And the second point, it almost feels like it's going in t- like intention. It almost feels like it's the opposite to the previous things. But this story also shows us that we are not to underestimate the interest that God has in our tiny little everyday acts, our tiny little works that we do, the things that we do when nobody's looking, the things that we do in secret, in the shadows, the things that we do or don't do when we, when we should do things, the things that go unpraised, the things that go unseen. If... In, um, in chapter 40, when we're dealing with the, with the wine guy and the bread guy, um, we, we see in verse 6 and verse 7, it says, um, Joseph woke up and he saw that they were dejected. And he said to them, why do you look so sad today? And it's only because of that question that we, that we then get the story of the dream. And we only then get um, the, the supernatural um, Part of, you know, part of this story where, where, where Joseph gets to translate um, the dream or give them an interpretation of the green dream. He saw that they were dejected and he asked them why they were so sad. And the amazing thing is that Joseph does this in the context of the prisons that he's in. He does this in the context of the walls that are boxing him in psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And he would have been doubting. He would have been struggling. He would have been sad. He would have missed his home. He would have been angry at Potiphar and frustrated at Potiphar's wife. He would not know how he'd ended up in this place. And it's so easy in those moments for us to tell our own story. And in these moments, he chooses to not engage with that, but to notice the people near him. He does not let circumstance hinder compassion. He leans into compassion and he asks, he notices people, he notices issues, and that leads to God's breakthrough. The tiniest little acts can make the most amazing difference. 
where Jesus talked to us um, in, in Matthew 13 about the, the parable of the mustard seed, that, you know, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed when you have this tiny little thing that then can grow into a massive thing. Um, and, and, and we have to believe that our everyday, ordinary work, um, school, college, the things that we do, the tiny little things that we do make a difference, that God can turn those things exponentially because he's promised to do that in the parable. And um, I... The mustard seeds are a bit too sort of agricultural for me. So my, my current favorite um, thing to use, and I'm going to try and share a photo, is um, sunfish. This, it turns out, is a sunfish. Reddit, Reddit presented it to me. And um, that is how small they are before down the bottom. And that's how big they are afterwards. Um, so we need to believe that our, that our acts could be like spiritual, spiritual sunfish. On a slight aside, um, I did some Googling today. This could technically be classed as plankton because it's rubbish at moving itself around. Um, so it just gets taken by the tide. And, and, and it also was an acceptable form of payment for tax, outstanding tax um, stuff in 16th and 17th century Japan. So um, if you get nothing else from this, um, get that. Um, oh, I've lost my... I got so excited that I've, that I've lost my screen. This is brilliant. We need to catch a vision for our everyday. We need to believe in a God that can do amazing things, but we can also, we also need to believe in a God that our, that our work, that our career, and that our family, that our friends matters to. And that when we do tiny little things in those situations, that change, those things echo into eternity. Do we truly believe that when we get up every day and go and do whatever we do, that it makes a difference if we do it for God and with God? Have we fallen for the lie that it's all about Sunday and not about Monday to Saturday? And we need to try and hold these two things in tension. And that's really difficult. It's really difficult because sometimes we want to chase after one and makes us forget the other. And sometimes we forget the other and it makes us um, chase after the other. But I... In this story, it shows that both of these things are, are immensely important. Verse 38 of chapter 41, the third verse that I asked you um, to, to just remember, it said, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You will be in charge of everything, basically. And he references both. The, spirit, the spirituality of Joseph, the fact that he has orchestrated this, um, this interpretation of a dream that has come from God. So he's, he's, he's noticed the spirit of God. He's noticed the supernaturalness of, 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 of God in Joseph. But he's also noticed the diligence and the wisdom that has been grown over years, years of struggle for Joseph, years of slavery. You know, he... The recommendations that Joseph gives Pharaoh are born, yes, out of the spirit, but they're also born out of wisdom that has come from the places that he's been in, from diligently, day after day, throwing himself into his work, working his hardest, taking the opportunities that he's given. The big and the small, the prophetic and the everyday, both Joseph does, and Pharaoh notices both, but both are because of his obedience to God. And it echoes to us, it, it tells us that there's this why, when we, when, we, when we think that Joseph has been prepared for this, 
moment for a while. That the, um, the, the, the process, although it has been painful, has been leading up to him having this role basically as prime minister of Egypt. We start to understand that there is a wider narrative going on. And this is my, it's my third and last point um, this evening. But when we realize that there's a wider narrative going on than just our own story, than just me right here, right now, that is the, that is the bedrock for breakthrough. That is, the, um, that is the stuff that needs to happen for, for breakthrough to happen. Because it, we, it, we stop thinking about ourselves and we start thinking about God's kingdom coming to earth. If everything that we, that we do is contextualized within what Jesus has done already, this earth-shattering once and for all salvation that we've got through Jesus, but also um, the agenda that God has to make all things new and to bring heaven to earth. When we start to, to, to think in those ways, we stop focusing on our everyday life and we start to see what God is seeing. It's less about fixing our precise circumstances and, and sorting out our problems so that life is easier and nicer, but instead it becomes about the kingdom of God, the presence of God breaking in. It's, it's you know, one way of saying it, it's, it's resurrection, it's not resuscitation. As a doctor, I was regularly, sadly, involved in trying to resuscitate people that had had cardiac arrest. I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's, it's quite sad, but... Um, the people that do survive, they come out broken, they come out patched up, they come out significantly worse than they are. We're just trying to get them even close to looking a bit like what they are before. And God is not interested in being a sticking plaster for the world. God's interested in resurrection, something new, something amazing, something beautiful. We're part of a story where God is recreating everything and we're part of that because and we know that because he's done that in us already that's why our spirits soar when on alpha sunday we hear the alpha testimonies of god doing things that only god could do because in the end and this is where i started so this is where i'd love to land it and um, in the end it's all about god it's two things that i have found that that are so clear in the Bible. And we might argue about the nuances or the exact way that it's going to happen. But if you think about the beginning and the end of the Bible, the beginning says, in the beginning, God. And the end says, in the end, God. And I know that me, on a regular basis, I have fallen for the lie that in the middle, it's all about me. And it's not. <laughs> the beginning, God. The end God, the middle is also God. It's all about God. And when we fall for that lie, as I do all the time, we're in great company. Me, when I was in Cambodia, Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, where Abraham pretends that Sarah is his sister because he's too scared um, that they're going to kill him. You know, Adam and Eve in, in the garden, lusting after the apple, the Israelites in the desert, whining all the time because they, 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 they missed the grapefruits in Egypt and they didn't Think about, remember the wider narrative of their salvation, the disciples after the cross when they doubted and they hid. But Joseph in this story gets it completely right. He doesn't let his circumstances change his confidence, his confidence in the character and the promises of God. When the moment comes, he chooses to tell God's story and not his own story. 
And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we should become these really sort of spiritual people that completely disavow everything. We never have any fun. We're not happy because it's all about God, because actually Jesus endorses our bodies and endorses our life in a way that no other world religion does. Not only does he give up his, um, his godness to come down and to be human, but he has compassion on people and he heals their, their illnesses and their diseases. He feeds hungry people. He makes sure there's enough wine at a wedding so that people can enjoy themselves. It's not about disavowing our bodies. It's not about feeling guilty about um, you know, wanting to be happy and wanting to have fun. But the reality is, is that it's, it's not about less of us. It's just about so much more of God. Breakthrough is all about God. And the more we lean into God, the more we will understand this narrative of breakthrough that permeates through scripture, that permeates through the history of the church, that is part of the story of this church. And the beauty of this story is we just get, we get the privilege of seeing some of that arc of narrative. We get to see some of what God has done, and I'm sure he's done so much more. We've talked already about the, the learning that Joseph did, the, the practice that Joseph had in previous settings, so that when the time came, Pharaoh noticed that, yes, he was a man full with the Spirit, but he was also a man full of wisdom, full of discernment, ready to lead. Not only does all this amazing stuff happen to Joseph's career, but actually this story and the way that it works out is the salvation for the very people who tried to kill Joseph. Because Joseph is able to interpret these dreams and is able to enact these changes in his role of prime minister of Egypt, he's able to provide for his family and save their lives to feed them amidst the famine, as we will find out next week. And he will, they will survive because of everything that God has done, the very people who tried to kill him, God saves through the story of Joseph. And even more mind-bendingly is the fact that we're reading it now. Through this story, God has revealed something of his character, something of who he is to generations. So how do we go about living this life of breakthrough? Living this life where, where we're... we're we're part of God's bigger vision and not just our own personal story. One of the best pieces of advice I heard was to, to live by the hour hand and not the second hand. To, 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 to try and step away and to see what God might be doing in the bigger picture and not to focus on the exact tiny thing that's happened now. And to not stop meeting together. I'm always um, a bit biased because me and Susie, we, we run the team that looks after our groups at HTB. But there's something so important about telling each other stories of breakthrough, about raising our faith and about being there for each other in the various prisons, the walls that box us in and that hold us inside that we want to tear down. Do not stop meeting together. And then I, I don't need to preach or to lecture about seeking after the Holy Spirit and sat, sat here, albeit in the back of Brompton Road, from the story that this church has had. But we need to keep on seeking after the infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we can, um, so, so that we can get that, that, that bigger vision, that bigger heart, that bigger understanding of how much God loves us and how much God loves the world. Acknowledge our prisons, 
be bold to believe for the big, be persistent to trust for the little and lean in to the wider story of a God who knows you, loves you, is for you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. In Jesus' name, amen.